All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Looking back on Florida State's win over Georgia Tech, give you a little bit of a recruiting update as far as direct fallout from the weekend, hosted some individuals, and kind of what it looks like here in your final stretch as we rapidly approach uh, the early signing day window. As always, want to thank our friends at Tarpon Sellers. TarponSellers.com is the website, Nolcast is the coupon code and always thanking our friends, the legendary team, 844 FSU loan, Chad and Shannon have been part of the team with us for forever and only appropriate that we lead the show. Thanking them. Sent out a ton of t-shirts last night uh, with my crew up here of uh, more Nolcast listeners. And it gets even better now, bud is not just sending out t-shirts. I believe every one of these things moving forward is $250 to rising spear as well. So credit the guys that uh, we're so fond of. You've had such a great interaction with uh, for making things possible, not here on the Nolcast, but also putting their money where their mouth is and getting involved with broader support of the program. So a big thank you to Chad and Shannon. And with that, we'll uh, move into our Georgia Tech review. Let's do this thing, man. So uh, I did the rewatch last night, which is why we are recording early this morning. Um, I guess a couple things here that I have, but I want to throw it to you first uh, because I did the instant, so I want to get, kind of get your thoughts. We really haven't talked a whole lot about the game other than just the group chat, so I'm I'm curious as to what you what you thought. Yeah, I went up uh, <clears throat> to Virginia this weekend and was watching a little bit on my phone as it was playing out, and then got a chance to go back and watch it twice. And it's you know it it is not adding a whole lot of value here to say that your 10 minute instant pretty much nailed on a lot of the things that I was thinking. I, I do think that some of these things stick out more in people's mind because like, what did we go into has a concern? Well, how this offense operates between the 20s and even the 10s isn't really a problem. There's certainly various metrics that support that. Uh, but we all know that you're really wanting to see this offense do well in red zone and you get down and have one of the worst red, bone, red zone possessions you've had all year. So I think some of the concerns that people had going in this mind, into their into this game in their mind were kind of quickly reinforced. Um, and so that's going to be a hard thing for people to leave. But uh, look, uh, Georgia Tech came out and gave you a, a better effort than uh, than necessarily or a predictable solid effort with uh, where those kids are from. And you're always going to get a, a you know plus level effort from Georgia Tech when you're Florida State. Uh, but, you know, you more or less more or less dominated a team with a kind of a B minus effort, I thought. And I'm not here to you know, this isn't a podcast of uh, sunshine and rainbows, but I think we do have to acknowledge that you're turning in less than best performances and and dominating conference foes. And George Tech's a bad team. You should dominate. So we're in some kind of a middle ground here where I think you both need to acknowledge that and also uh, see that there's things that you can improve upon. And while there's improvement that's happening, uh, the trajectory of such will will be answered much more in these final uh four games or final three games minus Louisiana than, than the barometer that Georgia Tech was going to play for you. So we'll certainly talk about the game. We're not going to completely dismiss it, but this won't be like a uh, granular review of what played out, why it did. And, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to go into great details here. As when we look back at the big scheme of things, this will be one of the games that as a fan, I think you'll just write off, look at the final score and, you know, move on to uh, more important results. I mean, there were some games in history that I don't really recall, even though I was there. Do you remember FSU at Duke in 2017? Mm, I don't remember that game. No. 
I don't either, but I, I saw it cited in a stat the other day, and I was like, that's uh, wow. Like, I feel like I remember almost every single FSU game, at least since I've been covering, right? And that, that one I don't remember. This one, I think you can probably forget pretty quickly, I, I, I would guess. Uh, now, a couple things here. One, you're right that they did dominate them without playing their A game. I mean, I don't think that was like their C minus D game. Like, that's probably like their A minus you know, B plus game. I, I'm not really sure what the ceiling of this team is. I think that they have some really good moments, but, um, you know, I, I think it was a, a solid effort out of them. I, I, I mean, they covered against the spread that got really inflated because Georgia Tech was playing its backup quarterback. They did not do so in a flukish way, which I think is is probably the most important part that we can talk about because, you know, you look at like Connolly's suggested score they're sitting at a 35, right? N not points four, but margin of victory. Mm. Um, it the, the inverse of this, like you were sort of, I guess, sloppy on the margins, right? You didn't really win the turnover battle, but so that, that type of stuff, if you had done that and you won and you really didn't move the ball and stop the ball, which are the two most controllable things in football, moving the ball and stopping the ball. If you had not done those things and then you just got a bunch of turnovers and some kind of flukish stuff and maybe like you only got a couple of red zone chances, but you were great once you were down in the red zone. You know, to me, that would be more concerning because I think about games as how does this translate forward? How do we spin this forward? How are you going to play next game based on what we just saw? How do we adjust our expectations positively or negatively? And I like that they moved the football and I liked that they were able to stop the ball for the most part. Um, I know you wanted to talk about the Wildcat. I actually have um, a couple stats to bring up here, but I need to sort through because I have my entire stack printed for the whole country. So uh, <laughs> give uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'll, I'll filibuster here real for you uh, quickly. I just, you know, I had to chuckle at the uh, the Wildcat and the result, not not because I'm some strange guy who uh, takes pleasure out of offensive uh, woes, but just like, Circling back to the LSU game where people were like, well, rather than pitch it, why don't you run the wildcat there? Like, we're all just based off results and how we're going to respond to things. I don't consider that a trick play or anything else. It's a fairly simple ask of people, but it is, you know, reflective of, of both broader straw, broader struggling that we've seen in the red zone. We talked about that in the preview. Um, and then also just these disastrous consequences that have happened to this team. Now, the consequence that played out here is a tailback and a quarterback had to chase a linebacker slash safety 70 yards and ultimately gave up three points. Uh, not maybe what could have occurred the LSU game, but I don't know, man. Whenever anything goes wrong, we're all going to focus on the result and then uh, kind of lash out accordingly. I don't see that as any anything kind of fancy, but I also see it as you know, emblematic of the broader struggles. You've got to, uh, again, this is not a exotic or trick play by any means, but you just have to, I wouldn't think that you necessarily would have to do additional things against Georgia Tech, but at the end of the day, it is just a power run play where you line somebody up and have him do that. Now, if you want to be critical of the fact that you had, you were asking a player to do that, you, that you have not previously done, I understand that. Um but I don't think that this is some situation where the broader narrative of like, oh, Florida State gets too cute down at the goal line. No, Florida State just struggles to run in predictive run plays. And for whatever reason, when the 
you know, box gets tightened a little bit. Uh, Jordan, I don't want to say struggles, but we kind of go away from some of the broader concepts that you use. Like, you don't, yeah. Well, in the passing game, you don't write right. a whole lot of your mess stuff uh, and, and what you're doing. So it's just a different, a different look as to what you're doing. Sometimes you have to do things that uh, can, can certainly alienate a fan if they already go into the game with that in the back of their mind. So, I mean, look, so you're kind of just bringing up the broader red zone discussion, right? Which is what we're getting at here. And I think it's a fair discussion to have. Why is this team not as good of a red zone offense as you would like it to be? Uh, now, one part of this, and we discussed this, and people think this is a good running team. And I know that people have sent us clips from other podcasts who have also said this is a good running team. And they are not incorrect on the whole, but we know. And I know, like I texted with Adam on on, on uh, um, X and Knowles about this as well. Like, if you look at this team's run numbers when opponents are trying to stop the run, they're not very good. You ran on Clemson when Clemson was sitting in a two deep shell to prevent your explosives, and Clemson's bet was, "We'll stop these guys in the red zone." They've been a very explosive offense so far this year. Can they consistently grind on you? And Clemson was correct in their assumption that you might bog down in the red zone. Uh, because they did their scouting and they did their homework. And this is not us giving away state secrets. These This is professional football coaches who have eyes. And you are not a great run team in sh some short yardage stuff, but more like when teams know you want to run and devote the box count to take it away, you're not very good at tight end blocking, which is I think is the main difference between this year and last year, right? Because like McDonald's not a good blocker. Your other other people are not, I and mean, I think our tight end preview is actually holding up pretty well this year. That it's it's a bad group, and uh, I think that gives you some problems because the offensive line, given how many guys they're missing, is not really going to push a whole lot of people around plus extra bodies. So the answer to that typically is Jordan, right? He helps to e equal out that box count. He's a true threat with his legs. However, in this game, I. I do not know this for a fact. The coaching staff would never say this publicly. I think he was under uh, either orders or strong suggestion to not run with the football. And I think the most notable one was the play where he has that really awkward throwaway when mm -hmm. he could have just scrambled for it and not in the red zone, but just overall. It's like, oh, wait, oh, shoot, I'm not supposed to run today. Let me throw that ball away, which I'm totally okay with. You are a four-score favorite in this game. If you want to tell Jordan, hey, we are not running you unless this is close, like late and close. If it's late and close and we, we somehow this has gone not the way we wanted it to, might, might have to press that, that emergency button. But we're not running you. We're going to get by on your arm and our back's legs today. In the red zone, in this game, is where that really shows up to me because you're not really able to even out the numbers. That's why you run the Wildcat because you have to account for the extra blocker in the Wildcat. And Jordan's probably not going to get hit when he runs out there to receiver. Now, I think you could probably sugar huddle this and then break it out later and not be quite so obvious in what you're doing, which might give you a little bit of an advantage. So coming out of a timeout and then just doing it immediately, uh, showing it. And you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know the execution of it was very good. I think Toe Philly probably took off earlier. But we also don't know if – did he run a Wildcat in high school? I'm trying to go back and remember. Most of these guys do. If you have a really good back in high school, 
you're running some wildcat with that kid. Well, just from the sense. fundamentals of running him wildcat, I don't have any problem. I mean, look, you know the the ball skills are there. Look, the kid's as good of a wide receiver or, or good a ball catcher out of the backfield as you could hope for. So it's not like, you know, you're asking somebody with stone hands to go back there. Now, has he has he made a read in that situation or something like that? Uh, most likely, you're right. In in high school, most of these kids would be put in that situation. Um <clears throat> It's just, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't, it's not like, oh, I, Mike loves to come down here and get wildly cute. Uh, it is a situation where in predictive rundowns, you struggle. And it's somewhat, you know, somewhat of these things feed into themselves. Teams know that you struggle, so they loosen up a little bit in the middle part of the field. And that makes your your YPP and some other metrics better. At the same time, this is not, you know, Florida State has made, some real legitimate gains on offense. And that, that's part of the reason why you have to play them. Obviously, if teams could just yeah. three and out you, that's what their preference is. But, uh, you know, the better way to do is to not let Jordan, who's approved as a passer, beat you over the top um, and make, you know, grind you into this area in the red zone. And and also it's, uh, you know, it's helped that Fitzgerald has made a couple kicks now. So you're not at a situation where you're looking to have to go for it on maybe fourth and eight just because of, of a zero confidence level, but this is going to be an issue that will exist with this team for the entirety of the year. And we can certainly talk about how they respond to it, but uh, it's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge and curious if you don't uh, make some tweaks based off how you approach the red zone, what you do in it and um, where, where you move more forward. I, I doubt you see a whole lot more of some of the, Stuff that you've tried to do with Pittman down there as far as getting him involved in the run. But that's, uh again, you know, maybe teams are aware of that and have made adjustments accordingly. But uh, it'll be a struggle. I'd love to see you in the games that you have left get Jordan more involved. That's a obvious statement. Um, with the legs. With the legs and let yeah. him, let yeah. him you know, uh, boot and, and run and uh, in space and make a decision. And certainly in Miami, you're going to take whatever governor uh, you have had on him off. And uh, maybe that's how you approach the red zone moving forward is basically these are a final stretch of four games where everybody's putting their chips in the middle of the table, see where they sort out. And, and uh, you know, you can use that Jordan car, card more to uh, hopefully open up a, a little bit of a problematic area in your office. I, I agree with you on that. And look, also, Jordan is just not a great anticipatory thrower. And that is where you need to be pretty damn good in the red zone. The, the see it, throw it mm -hmm. stuff, which is yep. really kind of more what he is is not uh, is not going to work quite as well in the compressed area because by the time you see it it might be covered again by the time you get the ball out. I agree with you more throws on the run uh likely will be coming for him. I I expect because he's probably the healthiest he's been so far this year, I think. So that's uh that's an encouraging sign. Overall, I think there's a lot of stuff to take away from the game as far as positives. You got a, long, a lot of young players in the game. I like what you saw from Armella uh Lovett comes in, I thought played decently and, uh, you know, seems to be okay. So that's good. He gave you 20 something snaps. All right. Not bad. Get him in, get him some reps, get him out. You're a four score, you're a score, four score favorite. And you took care of business. Uh, the game was really not, uh, not in doubt. I mean, the entire fourth quarter was garbage time and uh, like a couple back, you know, back minutes of the third quarter. I do have some of those stats, by the way, if you are uh, if you are interested here. Um, so Florida State had a 49% rush success rate before garbage time and a 52% passing success rate before garbage time. 
uh, 5.7 points uh, allowed per trip inside the 20, which, okay, is a little bit of sort of bend and break. Uh, but I will say only 3.4 points allowed per trip inside of FSU's 40. So mm-hmm. a little bit of improvement there. They didn't allow everybody once they got inside the 40 to just completely march down to the goal line and score. Um, the Knowles, six points per trip inside the 20. That's uh, That's pretty damn good. Uh, let me see. Honestly, like turnover luck, negative six and a half points for FSU. Basically, like they probably could have picked one of those Georgia Tech passes. And if you play the game again, they're probably not 0-2, but not not an extreme turnover luck type situation. And uh, non-garbage time yards, which I think is is really what we were talking about earlier. Like They didn't fake this margin of victory. They were actually probably a little bit unlucky in the game. Uh, 531 to 147. So you basically tripled them which is pretty nice before garbage time. You That's covered. What, what you, you want to see. Yeah, right? you covered, like, as you said, it's five minutes ago, you covered giving up a last-second touchdown. Um, so that's, Yeah, you got backdoored against a spread that got inflated, and you still covered. And you still covered. That's exactly. a dominant win. So uh, we talked about bringing Lovett and Verse back. Uh, actually thought you played Lovett a little bit more than you would have liked to, but still got him out there, got him in rotation. You just don't want a guy's first game to be uh, Miami. And uh, that's what he said, he got stepped on his toe and uh, walked through or something like that, but Lovett's fine. Uh, that is a different defense with Lovett in there. And he's um, just a – Fabian Lovett doesn't – beat blocks and he does uh, certainly but he, he also has the ability to humiliate offensive linemen and throw them around in a manner that just nobody else on your offensive line or on your defensive line does and um certainly a, a vocal guy that your best version of yourself is a healthy fabian lovett anchor in the middle of that defense and it was good to see him back out there and only excited as to what zero means moving forward i uh i, f- I feel like like it's great to get him back and not to preview the Miami game too early, but I think uh, I think Miami has some problems on the offensive line interior. So, encouraged by that. Yep, really encouraged. Um. All right. So it was a noon kickoff. Not the uh, greatest of atmospheres, but still hosted a uh, decent amount of talent. And we'll give you an idea as to the recruiting implications. Uh, as always, want to thank our friends at. Congruity HR, whether it be payroll, um, HR, any other way to go about making your business a more optimized version of yourself. I want to thank just the support that we've received here as we've received an incredible amount of support for all our sponsors. And another individual reach out yesterday. I don't want to throw his full name out there, but I think his first name was Seattle, which is one of the coolest first names I've ever heard. So putting Seattle in touch with Matt Lewis, he had a uh, situation where he wanted them to do some auditing of their HR processes. And I don't know if that's uh, something that Matt does, but we're going to find out around 10 o'clock this morning. So uh, thank you as always, our listeners reaching out the support that we've received uh, with the congruity sponsorship and partnership is fantastic. And again, whether you want to DM me as Seattle did or reach out Matt uh, and congruity directly via their website, congruityhr.com, that is up to you. But uh, again, excited to work with those guys. We personally uh, could not speak more positively of them from our own experience. And uh, great to see so many Knowles reach out to uh, Matt and his team. All right, man. That is awesome. Really excited to hear about that. So a couple of recruits in town. Uh, Cedric Baxter made yet another trip 
up to see the Knowles. And uh, from all accounts, everything went really well. If you guys don't know who Cedric Baxter is, he is a really good running back out of Orlando. Like, really, really good. Um, big kid, has wheels. But also, interestingly, if you go back and watch some of his sophomore film, and you've seen him play seven on, like I have, uh, he catches the ball extremely well. And he's a guy that I think if you signed, uh, you would be looking to throw the football to. Uh, I mean, he's probably a guy you want to have like 40 catches mm. over over a 12-game season. I mean, you want the ball in that guy's hands in multiple ways. And like Baxter, for a guy that big, you don't oftentimes see really big backs catch the ball uh, out of the backfield as well as he does. They actually played him at receiver some as a sophomore. And Damn. I'm okay. Yeah. Now he's committed to Texas, uh, but like, I don't know. He's a guy I'm very high on. He's a really good player. Uh, he was once committed to Florida state, uh, as I think we've said multiple times on this show and elsewhere. He, we asked him like, Hey, who was the coach you committed to when you were committed to the Knowles? And he said, Oh, I don't really remember. So I'm not really sure how hard we take that first commitment to the Knowles before he backed off. Like that would have been, I think like early Willie staff. Mm-hmm. So a long time ago, but, but this is a guy who's been on the recruiting radar for some time. He is a Texas commit at this moment, and we'll just kind of see how this one plays out. Like I'm not here predicting a flip, but I do think for, the Knowles have done a nice job uh, with him. Obviously made him a priority. Uh, if you were on social media last weekend, uh, I think it was last weekend when Mike brought in the old helicopter to go visit him. Uh, it's a guy that they, you know, look, uh, certainly appear as though you're pushing all your chips out for a uh, big time running back. And and when Bud says he's really talented, uh, what you guys have him ranked as the fourth running back in the country. So, I mean, yeah. a super elite prospect. The fact that he can be as involved in the passing game is great, both uh, from a Mike Norvell perspective as to what he uses uh, wants to use his running backs in his offense. And also, you know, two to three years from me is already making notes on my prize pick projections as far as getting a running back that can uh, get you a little extra fantasy in the, um, in the past game. But no, it's a, you know, we can have a conversation as to whether or not this program is like in a place where the last piece that it needs is some uh, super dominant back, but there's uh, also a lot of positives to be had as far as a, uh, display that you can go out and get one of the better wide receivers uh, in Williams, assuming you keep him. And then look, if you can add a, a running back to it as well, then, you know, some of these narratives that Florida state can't get skilled people in the modern NIL game have certainly been put to rest. Uh, now we can turn our attention to elite members of, uh, or elite people who play long line of scrimmage next. Uh, oh, I do have one thing to say on this. Yeah. Um, Baxter is actually our number two running back in the country. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are used to looking at the 24 seven sports profiles and seeing the composite. Up I was top a composite. And, you guys have him at yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, we, Zach we actually, Osteen, who's a bright we, kid considered him as potentially the best back in the country. I mean, it is uh, you're, you're talking about a super elite prospect at the running back position. We, uh, we, we, we actually have switched our, uh, our rankings up to where now we have the 24 seven sports rankings on top uh, because Quite frankly, the 24-7 sports rankings have just been that much more accurate than the other, than the other services over a sustained period of time. And I think that's because 24-7 invests in their rankings and they have like guys who have run professional scouting departments before and guys who have run college scouting departments and like not, you know, not just your traditional media types doing this stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, like they've been really good. He's a really good player, man. Now, yeah, there's like three guys that we had 96 or better and, and he's number two. 
right behind Ruben Owens, who's committed to Louisville from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, if for some reason Texas got Ruben Owens, that might impact the Cedric Baxter recruitment. So just keep an eye on that. Something to watch, certainly. Uh, Hakeem Williams was referenced about 90 seconds ago. He was also in Tallahassee for the weekend. Um, believe that was a <clears throat> group trip with Edwin Joseph, or um, I don't know if they just traveled around while they're up there together, and I got confused, but pretty sure those two came up. And uh, Joseph is a defensive back that is emerging uh three-star prospect, depending on where you put, but a guy who's made a position change in high school and uh, is, you know, a uh, one of, you still get late risers, even, even with the adjusted calendar and all the seven on that goes on in these kids' careers. Uh, senior tape is still different. And uh, Edward Joseph is a kid whose stock is, is on the rise and Florida State's very involved with what Louisville actually to continue to talk about uh, a, a school is involved with Joseph. And from your opinion, bud, where do you think they stand right now? Yeah, I, I feel like they're actually in a pretty good spot for Edwin Joseph. They, they, they like him as a DB. The, the school obviously needs some defensive backs. Uh, I actually don't know if he traveled with, with, with Hakeem. I, I, I can ask about that, uh, but they definitely know each other. And I, I feel like the Knowles are in a good spot right now for Edwin Joseph. Um, I mean, obviously there's some question about what he'll play in college from different schools evaluations. But I I, I do know that, that the Knowles like him as a DB and as somebody they've been targeting, uh, they, they think can make their class better. There's probably only about four to seven uh, high school spots left. I, I say four to seven, which I tend to lean more towards the four. But if they if they did close it out and go and sweep or something, if they, if they somehow pulled a five and oh, right, you stay pretty healthy, you get a couple breaks and you play well. It's possible, like we said. I think maybe you could expand this thing to get up to six or seven more high schoolers in, in the class. They're definitely going to have some attrition off this roster, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. You're going to have attrition. And if you go uh, four and one, five and oh, you're also going to need to acknowledge to yourself um, that you're probably going to have to allocate a few more funds towards the retention of your roster as well. So uh, that will be interesting to see how that breaks out. DJ Chester is another name on the board, uh, but I'll, I'll let you update our listeners as to where uh, you stand with this uh, this lineman. But it, you know, just from talking to you in the group text, sounds like sounds like LSU is your number one number one point of contention at this point with Chester. Yeah, uh, he obviously took a uh, visit to Michigan as well. Or not, I shouldn't say obviously. I, I just from checking around, I I think LSU is the most likely spot here. I know the Knowles have done a nice job recruiting him. Uh, we will see if they can pull this out from Eagles and, and Landon Christian, uh, one of the the offensive tackles that the Knowles like an awful lot. And uh, you know, for us at twenty four seven Sports, a number fifty five player in the country. So. Uh, I think LSU at this point is in the best spot for him. So that would be a tough loss for this FSU staff if, if they're not able to reel him in. All right, man. We'll uh, continue to – obviously, recruiting is a massive thing, and we'll cover it all the way up to signing day, although it is going to be a little bit different with a program that uh, you know knows that it's a destination in the portal at this point and uh, has to try to save some space for that and uh, – make make sense of the numbers. So uh, one place that we've been fortunate to have uh, some real numbers make sense for us is our prize picks partnership. And uh, Bud's another great weekend, man. I've uh, had uh, so much fun with this. And also it's 
made me appreciate, and I say this just as somebody that's appreciated, not that this is true all the time, and I've just stumbled across this, but um, man, I, I'm thrilled with the prize picks partnership, but I've gotten to see so much Big 12 and Pac-12 uh, football this year, and those leagues are fun and entertaining, and uh, credit to prize picks just because it does help you kind of open up your your uh, window as to what you watch. I realize somebody uh, like yourself who uh, you know does this nationally and hosts Cover 3, uh, that is not as much of a unique phenomenon, but for myself and our listeners, uh, Prize Picks certainly kind of opens up uh, the aperture of which you view the college football world through. And uh, hey, when you're you know winning a little money and getting to see and appreciate more college football, that's uh, that's all the best. So I uh, had a great weekend myself, and uh, this has been uh, <laughs> this has been a partnership that's paid us twice over. So uh, all the better. How did our uh, how did our prize picks card that we tweeted out from the Nullcast account do? Yeah, let me take a look that. here. Um, okay, uh, Holt Nailers fantasy score over nineteen and a half. I think that got there. Uh, that's the East Carolina quarterback uh, Isaiah Winstead, one of the East Carolina receivers. I think did not get there. Uh, Robbie Ashford uh, injured. I had him on my ticket. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was uh, I didn't play the quarterback because by the time I got to it, where you and I liked the number, I think it already moved another two and a half points or something. And I just left it off. I'm reviewing my own tickets here uh, as well. But uh, Ashford, I think for Auburn easily went over, right? Cause he had almost a hundred rushing yards and he threw a touchdown. Uh, Kendra Miller for TCU, I believe went over. If I recall, he had the long score for them. Just under, unfortunately. Oh, just under. Okay. His number was, was 20, it? and he got to 19. Oh, man. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then Michael Meyer, did he go over for He did Dame? not. He did not. Oh, that man. one, you know, if you're going to tell me. That was not very good. You're going to tell me Notre Dame scored as many points as they did, and Meyer went more involved. I would have been surprised, but um, that uh, he did not hit, unfortunately. But uh, Looks like a couple people uh, hit, uh, hit the ones that they tweeted at us, though. Uh, a good number, actually. Um, Tweeted yeah. at us. I put together a blend of five. Uh, I, th- I think I submitted 12 or 13 tickets this weekend. Did well. Hit hit the 15 times multiple on my biggest ticket that is always... Uh, that Flex Friday. A Flex Friday. I, it was 558. I had uh, one, one ticket left to put in, so I put all of my uh, remaining funds, which took it to $69, and that hit at a plus 15 or 15 multiple, and that makes for a good weekend. So, uh, yay, price picks. I will say this, uh, knowing that this is dangerous, but if you guys want to reach out to me in the DMs, I will try to help you on that as well. So uh, it's been a great partnership. Awesome, man. All right, so uh, let's see. A quickie around the ACC slash Miami preview? Yeah, uh, bud, I'm just going to be lazy here and lean on you and uh, your cover three. uh, (laughs) What the hell happened with Wake Forest, man? That's That that was a crazy-ass game. I realized they turned the ball over what, six times in the third quarter, but that was uh, the one score for me this weekend that made me really wonder uh, if uh, maybe the universe's wires didn't get crossed or something like that. Yeah, well, uh, they had six turnovers in the third quarter alone Mm -hmm. and eight turnovers in the second half overall. Uh, They actually outgained, or no, they were not outgained, but they, yardage-wise, it was uh, before garbage time, uh, 361 to 302. So not insanely different there. Uh, Yards per play, Wake Forest had 10.4 per pass and Louisville had 7.8 per pass. They literally just had a Sam Hartman meltdown game. He's had three of these in his career. He had mm-hmm. one of them against 
Pitt, I think last year in the AC title game, and he's had one more where he's had like a six turnover game. And it's just weird because the guy is normally a pretty good player, but when he goes bad, he goes like he's got that, that epically uh, bad. Yeah. Uh it it it's just deep lying Chris Winky gene in there somewhere where he'll turn up with a with an all-time bad bad turnover like, stat. W- Wake had a 63% passing success rate. That's mm. absurdly high. Like the, that's like one of the highest on the weekend. Uh, among conference games, and yet they still managed to lose by, you know, what, 20, 27 points. Uh, Ingram, they had negative 24 points of turnover luck in this game, which okay. is, that's going to be your leader on the weekend. That helps uh, explain uh, a lot of my original questioning, certainly. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Louisville had four broken up passes and five picks. Mm. Okay. That's... <laughs> excuse me, no, no, five, excuse me, five PBUs, four picks. Yeah. That is what we call a non-sustainable ratio, okay? Most of your PBUs are not turned into picks. Louisville's converting them at 80% in this game. Now, Wake Forest had four PBUs and no picks. Okay. So, yep. anyway, like, I know people are going to excuse it with stats. Well, that's kind of an outlier there. Um, yep. Now, on the other hand, Syracuse lost to Notre Dame at home. This is something that we said to keep an eye on at the beginning of the season, and I had their under on the season win total, and that was not a winner because they are already bowl eligible. But we did note, and this is something I think is it's just coming home to roost for them, but it's a little bit late, that their defensive line depth is not particularly good. And so knowing that, uh, would teams be able to run on them? Clemson ran the ball all over Syracuse last week, and Notre Dame came out and ran it quite well against them this week, oh, I think my wife is making bacon downstairs. That is, uh, that smells good. W- wafting up to the office here, man. All right, so, so uh, here we go. Does his Jimbo Fisher notes there? Uh, yeah, all right, I found it juggling 30 uh, pages of stats. But uh, Notre yeah. Dame had a 52% rushing success rate. That is absurd. I mean, yep. just completely r- ridiculous. Uh, and Syracuse on the day, only a 29% success rate overall on offense. They got pushed around a little bit up front. They keep getting a little more banged up. Garrett Schrader got hurt in this game. The announcers seemed to think it was a concussion because of how he was stumbling around. I'm relatively certain it's an ankle. Mm, okay. Like I went back and watched. I, I I got multiple replays in different angles and looked at it. And uh, like the Del Rio kid actually came in and played much better than Schrader did, but I kind of doubt that's actually sustainable. And uh, Syracuse also lost uh, all ACC corner Garrett Williams to an ACL in this game. Mm. So they wow. really, it was, it's been a bad week injury wise for the Qs, uh, extremely bad because they, they play that same defense largely that NC State plays. Uh, but we'll see how well they're able to play it in a couple weeks here as the Knolls travel to upstate New York. But yeah, man, like their defensive line wise is just not, uh, it's not where it needs to be right now. Um, and I'm not really sure who they're going to get back from that standpoint. They just kind of got pushed around. Now, Notre Dame has a really good offensive line, especially in the run blocking. So we'll we'll note that. But I mean, you're looking at at some of these grades uh, that are given out by these various sites, and and like if if 50s replacement level, uh, all of Syracuse's no, that's not all their starters. Uh, is there any starter that graded out? Most of their defensive line starters were grading out as below replacement level. And all the backups, which I think speaks to our point about the depth, it appears uh, were very low. 
so they got pushed around quite a bit, and Notre Dame only threw for like 108 yards in this ballgame. FSU will have a chance to go up there and win this thing as long as FSU stays healthy and Syracuse doesn't have some like magic potion to get healthy. Yep. Uh, one other game as far as um, elsewhere in the ACC or Florida State's future schedule. Um, Jacksonville happened as far as George, Florida. Not a whole lot to take away from that. Uh, Florida had a spirited effort for about 10 minutes there or so, and then roster's uh, composition kind of took over. Biggest thing from that, bud, I'm not sure it's directly tied to the game, but Brenton Cox well, enters a punch. portal. Uh, yeah. I don't One think you figure uh, out the team for that, but it could just be a culmination of things. Yeah, a kid that's uh, been a little touch and go during his time there, but a, a very talented defender is no longer on the team, and that is uh, number one for UF is not somebody that Florida State's going to have to face, and that's uh, you know probably only but a good thing. Florida had a 25% success rate in this game. They lost the game by 22 points, and they had uh, 10.5 turnover luck points. So... And that's not just saying like turnovers are all luck. That's just saying if you look at like expected turnovers against regular turnovers, uh, Florida was very fortunate in this game that Georgia did not pick off Anthony Richardson a couple times. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, they were like 0-3 on turnovers. But a 25% success rate. Now, Georgia's defense is so much better than the Knowles. It, it's not really a, a fair comparison. But that's still concerning. That's not, uh, that's not good. They're not operating at a super high level right now. I actually think they can go in and beat AM if their headspace is okay because AM's run defense is just horrible. They just gave up 400 yards on the ground to Ole Miss, uh, which is pretty wild considering Ole Miss doesn't really throw the football. And Lane Kippen just like out fourth down math the hell out of Jimbo in that one. He, I think he converted like five fourth downs. And just that's kind of how they won the game. AM's yards per play were much higher than, than Ole Miss's, but you got to be good at coaching situations. So. Uh, and you got to understand kind of what number you might need to get to. Like not every game is played to 24. Mm -hmm. So, yep. uh, yeah. All right. Uh, finally, Miami, maybe. Yeah, we'll do a little loose Miami talk. Thank you to our friends at Charlie Park. Uh, great weekend over there. Thanks to uh, many of our listeners who headed over there and uh, the ones who documented it on social media. Thank you even more. So a great place. Um, looks like we're going to be back into our night game rotation here. Uh, obviously Miami's an away game, but it looks like Syracuse is also an away game and a primetime game. So whether it be Friday night, anytime on Saturday, Saturday night for the game itself, or, uh, Tallahassee's best brunch on Sunday for their grazing brunch, uh, Charlie Park is a fantastic place and something that you should absolutely hit up when you are either, uh, you know, or, in Tallahassee, or when you get back to Tallahassee, Tallahassee's best rooftop bar, Charlie Park. Thank you so much to them and all of their broader entities with the For the Table Restaurant Group. Um, but yeah, Miami, I mean, you know, uh, one of the real pearls of college football history occurred this weekend in Charlottesville, where Miami won 14 to 12. Uh, I say that with as much sarcasm as is needed in a situation like that. Uh, one of the ugliest games that I've ever seen, but uh, that's kind of where Miami is right now. And uh, damn, Miami has, uh, has kind of backed you into a corner based off their own play and results where you really can't lose this game at this point between what transpired with Duke, what it looked like against UVA. Um, yep, 
gotta gotta go beat Miami. And uh, obviously, we've got a whole episode to devote to that more. Uh, but what a mess, man! What a mess. You muted. Sorry, the uh, the kid was crying downstairs a little bit. Um, probably ready to eat that bacon. Ready so, for bacon, definitely. Uh, look, Miami is not getting healthier at the right time, whereas the Knowles appear to be. I don't want to jinx anything, but who plays in the game matters. Two weeks ago, when we got a lot of smack on social media for saying, like, if Miami gets healthy, they should be favored in the game. I don't think that's necessarily wrong to think two weeks ago. However, it's a moot point now because Miami is not getting healthier. Uh, there were some reports that TVD is going to be back for this game, Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback. However, Christian Ball was like pretty clear they're prepping Ja'Kerry Brown and uh, Garcia to play in the game. And those guys just did not play very well on Saturday at UVA. They did not score an offensive touchdown, right? It was uh, – or no, they Miami scored an offensive touchdown and no four field goals and a two point conversion. That's, that's right. how they okay. got to fourteen. Yeah, I'm trying to thought how they how they got how when they I got said it was number. one of the ugliest games of all time. It was absolutely yeah. that. It was really really bad. Uh, that was a good alt under game <laughs> for sure. Uh, it, although it's always scary to lose an alt under when you go to quadruple overtime. Look, man, they're they're just not very good right now, and I think part of it comes back to. Like, what kind of team do they want to be under Mario Cristobal? They want to pound the football, and, and I don't think they're really built to do that. They don't seem to be evolving what they do all that well on offense to their personnel. But also part of it is the guys who they do and do not have in the lineup. Like, Nelson's not playing right now. Two other offensive linemen starters are not playing. And if you look at who started for them, right, John Campbell actually is playing really good at one of the tackles. He's having a nice year. Maybe, maybe he even gets drafted. We'll see. Rivers is okay. That's a kid FSU recruited as well out at, of at, at, at Jacksonville. But inside, man, like Ja'Kai Clark, he came back. He doesn't look healthy to me. Maybe he'll get healthier by this week, but Virginia ate his lunch. Mm-hmm. Inez Cooper is sort of uh, – give me a guy on FSU that if he has to play, you're like, oh, shoot, this is bad. Uh, like something a little bit, little bit lower than Turrentine. Okay? So they're having to play him in the lineup right now. And they're playing scape at right tackle, and that's just kind of okay. But on the interior, they, they kind of got ate up against Virginia, which is a Virginia's defense is actually not bad. Their their secondary, I think, is very nice. It's one of the better sneakily secondaries in the ACC. Uh, but Miami right now is just not able to throw the football with any consistency. I mean, they are in this ball game, fifteen of twenty nine, which is barely over fifty percent. But for 125 yards, and that's really not good. They ran the ball 38 times, which is a real commitment to running, for 147 yards. Ja'Kerry Brown, who's a true freshman quarterback, was 0 of 3 on the day throwing the football. Mm-hmm. They really – people ask me, like, hey, how would you defend these guys? I would just play exactly the same stuff you've been playing all year, which is sort of that sort of sagged off, soft man coverage – denying explosive plays, daring them to be able to hit explosive plays on you and see if they can do it. And people might say, well, Miami's been one of the least explosive teams in the country, and that is that is true. But I, I do think that with Garcia, because he tries to take more shots, like I'm not convinced Miami can play pitch and catch on you consistently well, honestly. 
there'll be some stuff you got to handle. They, they, they run a lot of like bunch and stack stuff, a lot of compressed formations because you play more man than I think you want to. Don't always handle that super well. Georgia Tech did some of that stuff. I bet you can see some of that coming from Miami. But overall, like you have to like the matchup here where you're at for the most part. And it's because, look, if Adam Fuller does his job in this game and the defense does their job, you're holding Miami to the teens. You know, I mean, they, they just needed four overtimes yeah. to score 14 points against Virginia. And it really wasn't fluky. Like they had 272 yards in four overtimes. And I understand once you get to the third overtime, the max you can get yardage wise is two because it's a two point conversion contest. But you still have an extra 50 available yards given the first and second overtime. I mean, Igor, some of these stats are just mind boggling, man. All right. <clears throat> Miami had a 50% rushing success rate, which is kind of crazy given that those, those numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually had five, five tackles for loss allowed, three sacks. 50% rush success rate is actually not that bad. But passing success rate-wise, not the best, 41%. Okay. So, again, they didn't hit any deep shots. They really couldn't connect. Virginia was basically giving them some of this underneath stuff, and they were not able to hit it. Like, if, if you're get, if you're getting – if Virginia is giving you some of this stuff, I expect you to connect on it at a higher rate than that. Uh, some other interesting things here. Yeah, explosive run percentage is nine. Explosive pass percentage three. Three percent of pass plays rated as explosive on the day. Really, that's not great. Uh, and that was surprising to me because I figured that Garcia, just based on some past games, and I'm not completely changing my opinion here based on one game because against Duke, the stuff he threw well was was more of the deep stuff, and he also through a couple picks. Miami had one pass play of 15 or more yards on the day. One. And they had three runs that went for 10 plus. 12, 18, and 12. They don't seem to be able to get out of their own way on offense. They seem to be struggling on the defensive interior. This could be a great opportunity for Lovett to make some money and have a, a nice return game to the national stage. We'll talk some more about this. I do think their defense, however, is a pretty decent defense. One of the better defenses that you will have faced so far this year. I'm not saying it's the best defense you you will have faced. It's not Clemson, but they do stop the run okay. They seem to give up the bomb quite a bit. Uh, mobile quarterback wise, I'm trying to think about this. Actually, trying to who which who's Miami face? It's mobile quarterback. A&M no. Southern Miss no. Duke a little bit. Uh, who else have they played? Help me out here. Um, well, Middle Tennessee comes to mind. Definitely, uh, yeah. And Cunningham's not a runner at all. I mean, that's like some like like Texas Tech type stuff. So it'll be a new challenge to see how disciplined Miami is against a running quarterback. And I would run Jordan a lot here. Yep, I think. Um, like this is the exact opposite of what we told you guys for Prize Picks last week when we said take Jordan rushing yards under, and you know. He had zero, he had zero attempts. Great call. Yep. Uh, Jordan over. <clears throat> we'll see. We'll look forward to that line. So uh, we've got a, an episode full of a Miami preview, and uh, we'll have that for you in a couple days. Uh, before we sign off, but I went back to uh, the college that I went to for the weekend and uh, didn't realize it was going to be a little bit of a national punchline. But did you see where one of the groundsmen knocked over the goalpost at Hampton Sydney. Uh, that was at your school. That was Hampton Sydney, yeah. Dude. And so um, they did not actually like. 
I saw it reported to where they flipped a field each time or whatever. Uh, I mean, look, I uh, Hampton Sydney's like kind of one part football game, six or seven parts cocktail party when you go to these games. So I'm not going to sit there and tell you that I watched every play and uh, and was versed on it. But they did uh, just go back and forth as a normal game and then as needed, uh, like have to huddle with the officials if a field goal attempt uh, came up or something like that. But one of the more hilarious situations that you're going to see when you walk up to the stadium. I sent you a couple pictures a second ago where uh, you just walk up and everything looks kind of normal, but you realize something's missing. And then you're like, Oh, Oh, we don't have a second goalpost here. So uh, otherwise beautiful environment, a lot of fun uh, draws about 12 to 14,000 people uh, consistently, consistently, which is much more than Miami. And um, yeah, so hilarious to kind of walk into that. Oh, um, by the way, last thing on the, on the Miami UVA game, uh, I do want to point out that yes, well, Miami's defense looked amazing. Uh, I would expect the Knowles defense to also hold Virginia in the in the teens, even though I know Miami's defense is better than, than Florida State's defense. Uh, Virginia's offense, and, and we have not talked about them a lot in this show because the Knowles don't play them. Virginia's offense is like, exceptionally bad. They are really poorly coached um some people have sent me for cover three use like some of the stats that when whenever their oc is involved in a passing game anywhere and like the completion percentages are, are just horrendous yeah they also lost their entire offensive line last year and then because it's uva it's a good academic school they can't really get transfers in very well mm. and the one big transfer they took for the o-line elected to go back to georgetown for personal reasons so uh we kind of had this one circled as absolutely terrible right from the jump. UVA completes almost no passes to outside receivers. And the Florida State's offensive line is markedly better than what UVA has. Like There are levels to this thing. And the Knowles offensive line is a lot better than what UVA has. So will Miami's defensive front give them some trouble? Yes, I think so. Because Miami's defensive front has a lot of guys that will play in the league and play well in the league, I think. But – it's just a little bit different level. Like UVA is totally incompetent on offense. The Knowles are not. So we'll have to see. Yes. I just figured I'd, I'd, I'd add that. If you guys are looking at that box score, you're like, damn, Miami's defense killed them. And they did. Yeah. Well, you, you don't have to go back far to UVA playing Georgia Tech the week before and one right. of the worst <laughs> offensive performances well that we've ever seen. So, yeah, UVA seems tied to that a lot. And uh, Miami certainly ain't playing UVA this weekend. So we'll have a full episode uh, to devote to it. Thoroughly look forward to uh, Miami week each year. Thrilled that it's here, and uh, we'll be back with you guys in uh, 36 to 48 hours. So, as always, thank you for your support of the Nolcast. Talk to you soon.